Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah. Elhamdülillahi nehmeduhu ve nesta'inuhu ve nestağfiruhu. Ve nu'minu bihi ve netevekkelu aleyhi. Ve na'udhu billahi min şurur enfusina ve min seyyiyyati emalina. Men yehdihillahu fela mudillelah. Ve men yudlil fela hadiyelah. Ve neşhedü en la ilahe illallah vahdehu la şerike lah. ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أرسل الله تعالى بالحق بشيرا ونذيرا داعيا إلى الله بإذنه وسراجا منيرا فما بعد فقال تعالى يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون وقال يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطيع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما وقال نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم, وسلم إن الأصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور مهدثاتها وكل محدثة بدع وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار My dear respected brothers, sisters, elders The topic of my khutbah today is the reality behind the apparent One of the most important lessons that we learn from the Quran is that appearances don't indicate reality Something may appear to be the epitome of success but may hide failure and something may appear to be the epitome of failure but would be the mask and the front which hides the success behind it. The criterion of success and failure as described in the Quran and defined is faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and obedience to Him. Iman Tawakkul means to trust that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what is best for us and to obey Him with love and sincerity. However, when we face trials in life, sometimes it is difficult to remember this and we can become the, and we can become the victims of anxiety and despair and lose hope. It is to guard against this that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us the stories of his Anbiya alayhi salam, his prophets and his messengers so that we understand the reality behind the appearance. Let me remind you of three famous stories in the Quran which we are all familiar with. Ibrahim alayhi salam, a young man whose single-minded focus was the welfare of his people. Please see the words I'm using. His single-minded focus was the welfare of his people. Today, when we use the term welfare, we think exclusively of material welfare. Food sufficiency, housing, healthcare, school education, which really means literacy, numeracy, and teaching random data from different branches of knowledge without focus and application. Critical attitudes and skills that will spell success or failure in life for the child. 
like ethics, morals, values, manners, adab, interpersonal communication, conflict resolution, problem solving, tools and techniques, public speaking, creative writing, influencing, critical analysis of history and current events, strategic thinking, reading, especially classics and poetry, social service, self-defense, survival techniques, basic astronomy and orienteering, horse riding, swimming, camping, cooking, I can add to this list. But it will suffice to point out that barring exceptions, none of these are taught in any of our secular or religious schools anywhere in the world. Take a simple thing like other, for example. Many young people in this community who on an average are one third my, I am three times their age. Because if they are 20, I am three times plus their age. Their way of greeting is they nod. You nod at your slave if you have one. You nod at somebody who is so low and so beneath you in social status that you find it's impossible that you could possibly raise your hand or you could possibly say salam alaikum. You just nod. Now, what must I do with this knot? This is something which should be taught to the children by their parents. The parents are not doing that job. Right? And this is only one example. I can give you a long list. Who must teach this? Yet we call this whole thing, in, in fact, what I just told you, Nothing which is useful to life and applicable to solve problems is taught in our schools. Very simple question. Your child graduates from a secular school or from a dini madrasa, either an alim or fadil or something or secular school. Tell this child, go away for one month. Do not go to any relative or friend's house. Take care of yourself and then after one month come back and I will look after you. You will never see your child again. As simple as that. Because in our schools, we do not teach them any life skills. That child, you have spent, on an average, that child has spent 15 years full time, for which you have paid, depending on which school, through your nose, acquiring what is called an education. Just ask, your, ask a simple question, what can this child do at the end of that 15, 17 years? I know we Muslims like to talk big. Tariq bin Ziyad, Muhammad bin Qasim, blah, blah, blah. They didn't go to your schools. They did not go to your Darul rooms. They did not go to your madrasas. How else do you command an army at age 17? We are not talking about organization, organizations and sitting in air-conditioned offices. We are talking about the field of battle. We are talking about warriors. We are talking about people. If they don't like you, they take your head off. How did they command those armies? Not through force, believe me. They, they commanded because they commanded the respect of their soldiers. How did it happen? And yet, you pay that money, the child spends that time, and nobody asks any questions. 
what hope then to expect that spiritual needs of the child will be addressed when even material needs are not being fulfilled although the need is so abundantly clear ibrahim alayhi salam's concern for his people was for their spiritual health and we know the whole story so i won't go into the details of the story <clears throat> his concern for spiritual health eventually got him into a situation where he found himself trussed up tied up sitting in the cup of a trebuchet of a siege engine about to be shot into the biggest fire that anybody had ever seen until then they lighted the fire they stoked it for so long that they couldn't get close to it so they had to actually use a siege engine to throw him there then what happens now before i go to what happens think about this also why is that society doing that they are doing that because violence is an admission of helplessness whether this violence happens in the home or the school or in society when those in authority have no moral grounds for their position no justification for what they are trying to impose on others and no arguments to convey their audience to submit to them they resort to violence do it because i can beat you that's that's the that's the argument paradoxically violence makes the opposition stronger because as the arab say the blow that doesn't break your back only makes you stronger and that's why corporal punishment is so useless in changing minds and attitudes of people so the same thing happened with ibrahim alayhi salam and they ran out of all arguments they decided to burn him they put him into the thing and they were going to fire him off and tafsir mein kaseer alhamdulillah taala he said at that time jibril alayhi salam came to ibrahim alayhi salam and he said to him tell me what can i do for you ibrahim alayhi salam said nothing so jibril alayhi salam goes to allah subhanahu wa taala of course allah knows what's going on he doesn't need somebody to come and tell him all of these kinds of hadith mean that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allah asked is not because allah doesn't know it's because allah wants to establish witnesses in favor of his slave on the day of judgment so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to him what happened he said this is what is happening they're going to burn your khalil so allah subhanahu and what happened i asked him what can i do for you he said nothing so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you now you go and tell him i sent you i i want to know what does he want So Jibril Islam comes back he says this is what is happening Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala sent me he wants to know what do you want from him Ibrahim Islam says I want Allah to be pleased with me That's it I want Allah to be pleased with me He doesn't say as I want Allah to save me from the fire no I want Allah if 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 me being burnt pleases Allah I am ready to be burnt If saving me pleases Allah then save me. What do I want? I want Allah to be pleased with me. When Ibrahim alayhi salam removed the makhluq the ghayrullah from between himself and Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly addressed the fire. Jibril alayhi salam is no longer in the equation. Allah did not say to Jibril alayhi salam go do this do that no. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly addressed the fire and he told us this in the Quran. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Qulna, we said, and this is the royal we. Qulna, ya naru kuni bardan, wa salaman ala Ibrahim. We said to the fire, become cool and a means of safety for Ibrahim alayhi salam. Now, put yourself in that crowd of people who are being for Ibrahim alayhi salam's blood. If you are in that crowd and you are watching, what are you seeing? Are you seeing all this stuff which I told you? No. Because this is happening in a different dimension. You're not going to see Jibreel Islam coming and talking and Ibrahim Islam saying this and that. No, nothing, nothing, nothing. What are you seeing? You are seeing Ibrahim Islam in the trebuchet, in the cup of a trebuchet, and then whoever is in charge gives the command, they chop the rope, the trebuchet flies, Ibrahim Islam flying through the air, he's into, into the fire. This is what you're going to see, right? So what, what happens to the crowd? The crowd is now screaming its guts out. They're delighted. They're absolutely, they're fantastic. We've ended this problem once and for all. Khalas, gone. So what are you seeing there? Success for Ibrahim alayhi salam or success for his enemies? Clearly success for the enemies, right? Clearly success for the enemies. Ibrahim alayhi salam, as far as you are concerned, is finished. Khalas, gone. Destroyed, burnt. But what is the actual reality? The actual reality is that Ibrahim alayhi salam is lowered gently into the flames Gravity belongs to Allah. He can fly through the air. But gravity will operate on him if Allah wants. He gently lowers, he is gently lowered into the fire and the fire is not a fire for him. Yet the fire has not lost its power to burn because the fire burns off the ropes but does not touch his skin. And Ibrahim salam remains there as long as Allah wills and then he walks out of there to everyone's astonishment. What made this happen? What made this possible? Absolute obedience to and trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the slave obeys without question, not because he is obeying blindly, but because he is obeying with knowledge. He does not question because he does not see a need to question because he knows Allah. The second story is that of Yusuf alayhi salam, which we again, we all know the story, so I won't go into that. But what is this whole story? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called it Ahsanul Qasas. He said this is the best of stories. What is that story? A story that goes from attempted murder to slavery to major temptation to imprisonment for no fault of his. And then to the governorship of Egypt. So on the face of it, failure after failure after failure, each one worse than the other. But ending in success. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned this in Surah Yusuf. When Yusuf salam is being sold, imagine this little boy who was thrown into a well and then he's pulled out from there and now he's on a slave block. And this man who is the governor of Egypt, the Aziz, he says, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَقَالَ الَّذِي اشْتَرَاهُ مِن مِصْرَى لِمْرَأَتِهِ 
اکریمی مسواہ عسا ان ینفعنا او نتخذہ ولدہ So this man from Egypt, the governor, he says, let us get this boy and keep and maybe we can adopt him as a son or maybe he'll be, he will be of benefit to us. Now think about that. Yusuf could have been bought by anyone. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has him purchased by the man whose position eventually he is going to take as the governor of Egypt. One of the things, one of the reasons, in the olden days this was part of the training of all nobilities, nobles and nobles' children. They went to different schools. One of the important things of education is to open your eyes to how people in power live and behave and operate, not so that you want to do exactly what they do, but you are no longer intimidated and overawed by that wealth and so on. You have seen it, you have been there, done that. Musa alayhi salam is brought up where? In the palace of the, of the Firaun. So Firaun's wealth and his power and his so on doesn't intimidate him. <coughs> Nothing new to him. It's okay. I've seen this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is training Yusuf alayhi salam in how to be the governor of Egypt. So what is, what is happening to him? He's by default now, the governor himself doesn't know that, but by default Yusuf alayhi salam is apprentice to him. He's learning how to rule. But on the face of it, what do you see? You see him sold as a house slave. And then all of the stuff happens. And the woman tries to tempt him and he runs away from that and he escapes. And then as after escaping, what happens? Is he given a medal, say, oh, you know, you did this? No. He goes to prison. That woman has so much power that even after it being proved that Yusuf was not at fault, she was at fault, she has the power to put him in prison. And she says it very clearly. She says, either he will agree with me or he will go to jail. She's saying it openly. You can imagine what kind of a society that is and what kind of social norms and so on and so forth, right? Husband knows what's going on. Husband is, husband is the one who, who caught them and he, he, he is the one who decides. No, she tells the woman, you are wrong. And he is right. All this happens. Still, Jesus says, ah, either he agrees with me or he goes to jail. And Yusuf alayhi salam says, Ya Allah, I, preserve, I, I, I prefer the prison to agreeing to do what she wants me to do, which is zina. Now think about that. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to Put Yusuf alayhi salam eventually in a place where he is going to be the governor of Egypt. Why should he go to jail? Two reasons. One, in Allah's qadr, jail was the place where Yusuf alayhi salam would meet a person who would be instrumental in getting him to the king. That was it. Years in, in, in future. Allah knows of course. Second thing is, for a woman like that, who has that kind of power, if Yusuf salam instead of jail had been taken to the court of the king, this woman's scheming would never have stopped. Because I am sure she had reach in there as well. But once she is in prison, she is lost interest in him. He is in jail, this is over. Right? Now she is going to go look for somebody else maybe. 
So Yusuf alayhi salam is taken out of this whole, you know, mess. He's put in a place where now he can concentrate and this is the Nabi of Allah for him. Being in a, in a place in solitude is not a punishment for him. This is ni'mah. Ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullahi is famous quote. He said, what can they do to me? He said, what can my enemies do to me? He said, if they imprison me, alhamdulillah. I have solitude. I have khilwat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If they kill me, I have shahada. So what, what can they do to me? Yusuf salam in prison is safe from the real dangers of society. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does for him what Allah sees, what Allah has made, his qadr. So once again, if you are simply watching the scene, what do you see? Failure after failure after failure. Now he's sitting in prison and you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, now this guy is in prison. What's going to happen? What's worst? Can... How is he going to get out of this? And somebody says, no, no, he's going to become the governor of Egypt. You say, come on, give me a break. I mean, this, this guy is sitting in prison. He's going to become governor. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does what Allah knows. And the reason is Iman, Amal Salih, and Tawakkul Allah. أقول قولي هذا استغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين فاستغفروا إنه هو الغفور الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على شرف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا فما بعد وقال تعالى إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد my brothers and sisters, we are talking about how reality is hidden behind the apparent and how it is important for us not to be misled and misguided by the apparent and then fall into the traps of shaitan. And to remember that the reality, that success comes only and only from having faith from Iman and from obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is doing good deeds, amal salih we come to the last of the examples of the best of them and that is Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Once again we see a life from the moment he announced Islam of difficulty after difficulty after difficulty, each one worse and more difficult than the, than the previous one. One after the other. Once again, I'm not going into the details of the seerah, you know this. In any case, we are doing lectures on the seerah so we will hear them then. But... If you or I were watching the Makkan period and if somebody asked this question and said, tell me something, do you think this man is ever going to be successful? What would you say? There's nothing, there's no physical evidence to say that he would ever succeed. But history and we 
are witness to that success, to his success, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And then it is not as if when he migrated to Medina, when he went to Medina, that suddenly a switch was thrown and everything became hunky dory. Did not. It's only the nature of opposition which changed. In Makkah there were no munafiqun. In Medina there were also munafiqun. In Makkah the opposition was straight, up front, in the face. In Medina it was a stab in the back. Things didn't change. Things didn't suddenly become everything fine. Until, again, I'm fast forwarding throughout because I want to make certain points. Until we come to the point where he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, has a dream and we know the dream of the Ambiya is Wahi. He has a dream that he is making Umrah. He announces this to everybody and close to 1500 people go with him with the intention of making Umrah. And then, we know the whole story. In Hudaybiyah, they are stopped. They are not permitted to make Umrah. <coughs> and on top of that, Rasulullah agrees to and signs a treaty which is hugely humiliating, completely one-sided. And especially for the people, his companions, for the Sahaba, and for himself, People who are honorable, people who are brave, people who are not afraid of fighting, people who are not afraid of losing their lives by standing for the truth, for them to accept a treaty like that was very, very, very difficult. Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab was almost always like a unconscious spokesperson for the people. He asked questions. But it is not as if only he had a question in his heart. Everybody had the question. Maybe illa, mashallah, illa Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu Other than that, I'm sure everyone there had this question. Everyone was questioning. What were they really questioning? One question could very well have been that here is a man that I believed in. Here is a man I brought Iman on. Here is a man who I know to be the Rasul of Allah. Here is a man whose word is wahi, which comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yet he promised we are going to make Umrah, but now we are not making Umrah. And he's signing a humiliating treaty. What does it say about my faith in Risala? What does it say about my faith in the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Is that faith the same? Is it shaken? What is happening to that faith? Yet, what did they do? Whatever be the question in their mind, what did they do? They obeyed. They obeyed. Again, I'm not going into the details and the details are very beautiful. If you see how this obedience happened, didn't happen just like that. That obedience itself was very difficult. But it happened. They obeyed. And then what happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna fatahna laka fatham mubina. Allah says, We have given you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa a clear and manifest victory. Now, what kind of victory is that? Because on the face of it again, was it a victory? You just signed a humiliating treaty, completely one-sided, and Allah is saying this is a victory. How? It was not a victory in the context of the treaty. It was a victory 
of the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over the nafs. And remember, we are not talking here about our nafs. Because our nafs takes us to haram. Like Yusuf alayhi salam said, وَمَا أُبَرِّهُ نَفْسِ إِنَّ النَّفْسَ لَأَمَّارَةٌ بِسُوءٍ إِلَّا مَا رَحِمَ رَبِّي He said, I do not free myself from blame. Verily, the nafs takes towards sin, except for those on whom Allah has mercy. We are not talking about sin. What was, what did the Sahaba want? Did they want to, did they want to disobey Allah? They wanted to make Umrah. Their nafs, their desire was to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Was to do what Allah ordered them to do. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that what is even superior to the normal worship of Allah is to obey the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. So even though you went with a desire to make Umrah, when the Nabi says we will not make Umrah, we will turn around and go back, to obey the Nabi is superior to making Umrah. That is the message. And Allah said, you have succeeded. You, Allah has given you victory because this is what happened to you. And what was the result of that? The result of that was a treaty was signed for 10 years. But in 2 years, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them Makkah itself. Next time they went to Makkah, they went as conquerors. They didn't go asking for somebody's permission. And not only did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open Makkah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then went on and opened the doors for Jerusalem and the spread of Islam on one side to Iran and Sindh and the other side to Iraq and Syria and Palestine and everything else in between. By the end of the Khilafah Rashida. And finally, the biggest stamp of this was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُحَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُهُمْ بِإِحْسَانِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا عَنْهُ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا عَنْهُ وَعَدَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي تَحْتَهَا الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ Allah said and the first to come into Islam from the Muhajirun and the Ansar and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his infinite mercy left that door open. Allah did not shut the door with the muhajireen and ansar. Allah left the door open. For whom? And for those who taba'ahum bihsan. Those who follow the muhajireen and the ansar. Those who follow the sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Those who follow Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Until the day of judgment, they will be with the Muhajirun and the Ansar on the day of judgment. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this inshallah. And what is the sign? Allah said, they are pleased with Allah and Allah is pleased with them. And for them are gardens under which rivers flow and so on. And that Allah said, this is the supreme success. Now brothers and sisters, it is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the barakah of Rasulullah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala left the door leading to his rida open for all those who follow the sahaba until the end of time. This is the benefit of realizing that the apparent hides the reality. And one is focused on the reality, then the apparent cannot deceive the person. And the person is neither elated nor is the person discouraged and depressed. But we'll, com- we'll continue to remain steadfast on the path of righteousness.
I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us steadfastness. We make this dua, Hidna Sirat al Mustaqim. We ask Allah to guide us on this path and to keep us on this path firmly and to take us in that state when we are on this path. I want to ask you also to make dua for two of our brothers who passed away. One is our little brother Daniel's great grandfather, his uh, his mother's grandfather who passed away in Long Island at the age of 100 years. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant him Jannatul Firdausul Ala Bighayri Hisab. And the other for the father-in-law of our brother Ahmad Tahun, Dr. Tahun's brother, to his brother's father-in-law who passed away in Egypt. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jala jalaluhu to, and both of them died, died on, on Jum'ah, alhamdulillah, with the bashara of that. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant them Jannatul Firdausul Ala Bighayri Hisab. We ask Allah to fill their kubur with noor. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant their families sabr. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to gather them and us and all of us together with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the Day of Judgment when we meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam taqfir lana wa tarhamna lana kunna min al-khasirin. Rabbana faqfir lana dhunubana wa kaffiranna sayyatina wa tawafana ma'al abrar. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasanatan wa bila akhirati hasanatan wa fina azab al-nar. Amin ya rabbal alameen. Ya ibadallah, rahimakumullah, inna allah yamur bilagdi wal ihsan. ويتايز القربى وينهى عن الفحش والمنكر والبغي يعزكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم حدوا يستجيب لكم ولا ذكر الله اكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون اقيموا الصلاه